Hi guys, welcome back to episode three of Launch Break. Uh, we're here with Noah Jeeves of Lick Frozen Cocktails and Ed Tweddle from Flint Watchers. Two startup co-founders that we're very happy uh, to have with us um, today. In the interest of moving things along quickly, I think we're going to kind of dive straight into um, the stories of where this all came from. So uh, first of all, Noah, can you talk me through a little bit about your background and then how the business came about? Yeah, of course. So I did a chemical engineering degree at Imperial. So I was very engineering heavy, but was always involved sort of in, interested in the creative side of things and had always been looking at, I think a lot of our generation is looking at entrepreneurship and it, it, interesting, it's more than, you like being interested in things just outside your field. And so my best mate, who's also my co-founder, Harry, he, very similar to me, did electrical engineering background, um, but at Nottingham University. But we always bounce ideas, always catch up. And so he was actually on the beach in Miami with his mum, and she said, you know what, I'd love a frozen pina colada on a stick. And we're both working at as Diageo. Yeah, as you do. And we're both working at Diageo at the time, and he came back. And so it was, we were doing internships there, and he came back and he said, you know what, I've got this idea. And I said, you know what, actually I quite, I quite like that. So started bouncing the idea, fleshing it out a bit more, said, right, take it from a stick, turn it into something that you can sell as a liquid, you can send it anywhere, you can melt and refreeze it, uh, and it most importantly has to be equivalent to a drink. So that is sort of how it all came about. It was just an idea on a beach and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's and now gone it's from real. there. And now it's real and in, in store and, and it's, yeah, crazy. Um, and I guess your uh, business is a bit older, a bit further down the line potentially the, than Flint Watches. Um, Ed, can you talk us about um, how Flint Watches came to be um, at kind of where you got to with it? I, I suppose Flint started with on my 21st birthday where I got given a watch for my birthday. And um, it was that kind of, uh, it's that kind of like moment where you get to 21 and you're like, Present stop being about kind of PlayStation games, and and I realised this is like the last good present I was going to get, so I like went all out and I got this really nice watch, um, which I was obsessed with. And prior to that, I didn't really have that much of an interest. Yeah, and so um, following that, I I had probably a couple of months down the line, um, I came across this watch in a charity shop, which was this old uh, fossil watch. Um, which was made back in the 70s, the like late 70s. And they'd basically done this really revolutionary thing within the watch market where they'd started using kind of quite individual materials and uh, incorporated ceramic into their design. Um, and this just really inspired me. I just thought, oh, okay, you know, there's not currently something on the market which is doing that, not currently a brand that's doing that. And that really sparked uh, the the project into motion really um, and just started doing research and um, yeah and then two years later we had a product in the market so um, but it was really that kind of it was it was that kind of moment of realization that there was definitely room in the in the market to to make a dent and um, yeah that's where Flint really started. The thing that I'm really interested in is you've both just said okay we had this idea we bounced ideas around and then we had this product, but there is a huge chunk that sits in between that from this idea that you have that's a great idea 
to having something real. What is the process that you both went through that said, OK, we've got a great idea, we think it's great, to then actually launching something that you've got customers giving you feedback on? And how did that work? We have a bit of a process around sort of if, for example, we're trying to do something that we've never done before, what we'll do is say, right, what is the end goal? And we will sequentially work back one step at a time. And so essentially what you end up having is you end up having something from where you want to get to, mm -hmm. from where you are. And you've already listed out your steps, you just work backwards to get there. So for example, we said, right, we want to have an ambient product, we want to have something that's equivalent to a drink, we want it to be refreezable. We said, well, we need to have the packaging to be really quite new, doesn't exist in the market, and we need to have a formulation that we currently don't have. And essentially we said, right, well, how do we, those are two separate problems. And you just break it down and break it down and break it down into tiny little problems, and then you just knock them out of the park one at a time. <laughs> um, that's, that's the theory anyway. Um, and that's how we, how we, how we tackle it. Um, that's how we tackled our packaging, and that's how, we've, you know, how we tackled the, the formulation. And the formulation came first. And we said, right, we want it to be coming to a drink. So we went and worked with some, some amazing flavor scientists and food developers uh, to get that done. Uh, they had a lot of expertise, and we had an idea of where we wanted to get to. Um, we were promised that it could be done at 2%. Uh, we wanted 15%. In the end, it ended up being about 17%. And we then said, OK, it's a little bit too high. You, know, you have one, and it sort of knocks, knocks, knocks your head <laughs> off. So uh, dropped it. It's now at 8%. Um, for the Bombay Sapphire one that we just done a co-brand with, that is in over 90 TPK pubs. Uh, the Frosé that we launched in Waitrose is at 8%, and our Mojito and Sainsbury's at 10%. So that's a level that we believe is good. So it's, it's a level that people know it's a drink, but it's not too strong that people start going, okay, I'm only tasting booze here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you tackle it one at a time, and, and you get to a sort of minimum viable product, and test it, and iterate from there. And same question to you. Yeah, so I suppose when we release a product now, it's a very different process to how it originally first happened. So the first product that we brought to market was very much like a learning curve, like fumbling our way through. Um, and it took a lot longer than we expected to bring that first product to market um, and learnt everything that we really needed to know in order to release products in future, which just kind of goes without saying, but it is just so integral to go through that, I think, um, in order to learn, you know, almost form a tick list of what you need to do going forward. And I don't think we would have been able to do that, however much advice we were given by amazing people around us. I don't think we would have been able to do that effectively going forward without the process of having two years in the, in the lead up to that, that initial launch of the product. Um, but now our process is very much revolves around just being as individual as possible with the designs, um, especially in the market that we're, we're in. It's an incredibly competitive space, and it's just retaining that individuality in everything that we do. I wonder whether you could talk us through um, some examples uh, of those processes. So Noah, I know you've just done a really cool collaboration with The Ned, for instance, and, and Ed, you've just got a new line of, of watches out quite recently. First of all, no. How, how did that come about, and how did that partnership um, manifest itself? So Harry, my co-founder, handles essentially all of our partnerships. So a lot of that is through, you know, they might see something that we've done, 
uh, they might approach us uh, or we might go to them and say, you know, this is something that we can do and we have done and this is what we, why we think it would be the right thing to do. Um, I don't think that's, no, I think it's, it's probably the same as any co-brand, really. If you look at, you know, you might say, right, this is a product that works for you or, you know, for example, we have two flavors in the NED. One is the Eastern Standard, one is the Picante de la Casa. Those are their house cocktails that they do. So it was a no-brainer for a summer product for them to do that. So, I mean, Harry, Harry managed that, and he, it was his personal relationships that, that really developed that. So it, with some of the bigger brands, for example, it is, it is a, a lot more, maybe a bit more commercial. You sort of definitely have to, you know, the, for us, for example, we, are, we provide iterative, you know, the sales are incremental. Um, we have a slightly different demographic that allows them to put their brand where they otherwise wouldn't be able to go. So it, it is really about finding what for that co-brand or what for that partner you offer because I mean, no, they're not going to do it for no reason. But do you put a commercial case to them and say, this is what we can do for you? Sometimes we have. Uh, so for example, with one of our co-brands, it was very, they wanted to, you know, they were saying, look, we do this, all these different varieties of alcohol. And we said, well, okay, well, how about this flavor? And uh, that's sort of some, how them have, some of them have come about. So, for example, we did a Jim uh, Beam um, for festivals, and that was that was a couple of years ago. Um, but that was very much right. This is going to be for festivals. This is what you're doing. This is what we can do. Let's go and do this. Yeah. And Ed, the new new line of watches. What's been the design process? I know you've got some artists involved with that as well. And how's that kind of taken shape? Yeah. So the our kind of our model going forward um, from this new range has been it's been really exciting this producing this new range um, as we've collaborated with a London based uh, jewelry designer slash artist who specializes in the patination of metals so she rusts metal under controlled conditions um, but just a really interesting uh, girl and had a lot of fun producing the range and she's, um, she's quite a character. Um, and so I think for us, it's really, it's, it's continuing to go down that collaboration route um, and incorporating those personalities that we come across and work with along the way and building that into our wholesale. Because I think that's, I mean, everyone nowadays talks about the story being really important, but I think there's genuinely a, a lot of unauthentic stories being chucked around within the, the brand space. Um, and for us, it's, it's, it's the most important thing is, is that authentic story element and also just, like I said earlier, producing individual products. And I think that collaboration model works incredibly well for that reason. And I know Noah's done similar, you know, similar model. To, to sort of build on that, as well as product quality. You know, people want to work, particularly say a co-brand like Bombay Sapphire, what we offer is a packaging solution no one else has and the ability to make a, a drink that tastes genuinely, um, that's where we start, you know, if it doesn't taste good, you don't release it. The same as, same as watches, if, if you don't know that the quality is at the very best, you typically wouldn't release it. You wanted to say amazing then, but you didn't. But you're allowed to say your own brand is amazing. If oh, you want. yeah, <laughs> I, I completely back that. You know, I, I, I genuinely love it. You know, it's five years. I've had countless, so many. Product, product quality is amazing and product testing 
Thank you very much. L love it. <laughs> how's your liver? Uh, no, actually pretty healthy. I don't drink during the week. It's a uh, it's it's controlled testing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 the main thing, right? Um, but yeah, it's it product quality. It comes down to that every time. Um, and going back to the unauthentic story, you know, there are a lot of stories people have gone right. The story needs to be the main number one thing. But ultimately, if your product quality doesn't back up your story, consumers going to see right through that. From talking to you both just now, though, it sounds like you had an amazing idea and you followed these steps and you launched your product and it's all gone really well. Has anything gone wrong? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear what's gone wrong um, and what you learned from it, crucially, because at Market Gravity, like, we do celebrate failure and say, like, you need to try a lot of things and most of them are not going to work and you just keep trying until you get the right thing. Yeah. No, we've celebrated them failure. Okay. No, no. We, we had, uh, like I touched upon earlier, it was that first initial phase of developing the first product, which is, um, was very, very long for us. Um, and, it was, and it was a good process to go through for us. But it, yeah, there was a lot of bumps along the way, um, in mainly in terms of the supply chain, with the nature of our products as well. There's a lot of learning and yeah, a lot of a lot of bumps when it came to the supply chain. Once we had that, once you've got that in place, I think that's like the key hurdle to get over. What was your kind of key learning to take away from that, and how you go about your work? What I learnt is that in order in order to produce a product and in order to set up a company from a very low budget, it's going to take time mm -hmm. and it's going to take you building relationships and with a lot of money comes, you know, an, an initial cash injection can be enough to, to smooth out that process um, to a certain degree. But what we realized is that, you know, it, 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 there was no, really, no, no way of getting around it really. It was, it was that we had a small budget. We wanted to do it, you know, a grassroots company growing up from, from nothing. Um, and so we started with a very low budget and because of that it led to a lot of complications. I completely agree. If suppliers don't feel like they're stakeholders in your business, they're never going to... It's, it's more than just a transactional nature of a purchase. It's more than just, oh, I give you this money, you give me that packaging or whatever it may be. It, they have to feel like they're a stakeholder in your business. Otherwise, they're simply not going to work for you. You're not going to work and build a relationship if they don't feel like they want to invest in it. Um, we had this... We had same, similar stuff. Um, you know, you're, you're new. By, by, you know, part of the problem of being a small supplier is you're new to them. And a lot of these big guys are very used to dealing with the same suppliers, the same customers. And therefore, they don't know if you're going to be around in a year. So they might not take the time to actually develop those relationships. And it, yeah, it does take time. But, you know, it isn't something you'd build overnight. It does take a year, two years, three years. And neither of you had any experience in running your own business before you set up your own businesses. No. Is that fair to say? No, I didn't, no. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, no, I didn't. And then you found yourself as a co-founder of a company. Ye yes, I don't think it really sinks in. I think you're just like, right, this is, this is something I'm doing. And you don't, there's, you don't really sit on your laurels and go, oh, I'm a co-founder, this is great. Yeah, I've got to do this and that's what I want to do. And that is the best bit. Yeah, <laughs> in, until, until, until you've got a product out there, until you can say, this is the product we've made, you, you al almost sort of like, you're almost embarrassed to say, oh, I'm a co-founder, like, of what? Well, we haven't got it yet, but, but in giving 
let me come back to you in a year's time. So it's a title that gets thrown around a lot, but it doesn't really mean anything until you can actually say, this is what I've made, or this is what I've done, and this is what we're doing. It's an airy-fairy title. <laughs> the first thing I did was put Global CEO on my LinkedIn, and then <laughs> everything kind of... Oh, I went from, from that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All fell into place. Yeah. I like Everyone came flocking in. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so we've touched on um, some challenges uh, that you guys have faced, what you've learned from that. On the other side, on the flip side, what for you guys was that key moment of success where you thought uh, this might actually work? Um, for me, it was that, that first prototype that came because there was such a long period before we re received that first prototype. And I was working at the time and it was just, it was a grind in order to get that first product. So it was getting that first product in our hands and I remember w opening it with my co-founder in the pub and yeah, drinking a lot and it was, it was a good night. It was a good night. But, but I think, um, yeah, I think that was, that was the best. And I think also a big thing for me is getting rec recognition for the work that I'm doing and Harry's doing from people within the industry. I think that's, I don't know, most people say that, but it really is true. I think that that's, you can get as many compliments from your friends and your close n network and even your like wider network of your Flint um, audience, your Flint um, customers. But I think it really is the people who know what they're talking about, you know, giving you good feedback and um, being very positive about what you're doing, I think is the, the main thing that makes you think, wow, actually this is, you know, really worthwhile. How did you get that feedback? Did people contact you and say, <coughs> these watches are really good? Yeah, you get, you do get, you get compliments um, from random people just getting in touch, but it's usually through press, for example, press, um, which is watch-related press. Uh, I think that's the pinnacle for us as a brand, is getting um, recognition from um, journalists who write about watches on a daily basis. I think that's, I think that's the pinnacle for us nice. at this stage. Yeah, I mean, ours was probably seeing it on shelf in Sainsbury's. That was, that was pretty cool. Um, and usually, obviously, it's, it's a podcast, so you can't see my face, but I, I do <laughs> look quite young. And usually I get ID'd for absolutely everything. Did you get ID'd for your own product? So I, wanted, I was actually like, I thought that'd be quite funny to do. <laughs> yeah. um, and Harry was sitting there with the camera ready, and I didn't get ID'd, oh, uh, which right. kind of ruined it. But it, yeah, it was definitely definitely a highlight. Um, you know, you've, you're doing your, your biggest batch you've ever done. You're like, right, this is amazing. It's going to retail. And you sort of come out the back of that, and you're so exhausted from, from like, just, just like, oh, it's going into store. This is quite cool. You're so exhausted from doing that process. And, a week goes by and you've sort of recovered and you're like, oh, it's in store. And you, you see it and it's, it's kind of like, oh. And I didn't just come in and put it there and go, you know, when you're doing your pitch to the buyers, and you're like, well, this is what it looks on shelf. And you've snuck it in next to the RTD cans <laughs> and gone, yeah. this is what it might look like, but it's actually there. Um, so that was a, yeah, a pretty cool moment. You've just mentioned getting the prototype of the watch and you talked about testing. I'm really interested to know how you went about testing because I mean, we do testing as part of our job and there's loads of different ways we do it, but I imagine it's quite different for both your products in that you, were you testing, you were testing the flavours, but did you make a prototype lolly and give it to people? Yeah, um, so we worked with food scientists, flavour developers, um, and sort of worked with the texture and the taste over about six months and came up with something that we, we believe we were very happy with. Um, 
didn't wasn't all plain sailing over the six months. It wasn't like a gradual progression. It was like, nope, 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 nope. Ah, that one's all right. Um, let's keep going that way. Um, so that's sort of how we got to something that we were really happy with. It was at 15% ABV, so like a strong bottle of wine. AV, like, yeah, it's pretty pretty punchy. Um, but we were like, right, that's where we want to be. You know, we want it to be a shot and a half or so of, of alcohol. Um, that's what we believe was right. So we went and launched it at a load of events. So we went and did, me and Harry definitely bit off more than we could chew because there were only two of us. And we said, let's do two events. And so I went and did uh, Polo in the Park and Harry went and did Park Life, uh, an entire festival with a, with a bunch of mates and we'd, with all of our stock. And it was, yeah, it was, it was a great way to test it. Uh, went down really well. And then over sort of the next two years, we just dropped the ABV a little bit. And were you selling, sorry to interrupt you, yeah. were you selling we were them selling at them, the festivals? Yeah. Were you having customers saying back to you, were you asking them questions or was it just, if we can get rid of all this stock, it means we've got a good product? Essentially, essentially it was, right, let's see how this goes. If okay. it sells, that's a, that's a great sign. That's, that's the main thing. Um, we had done small rounds where you're doing it with sort of friends, but you're not really going to take that much out of it, to be honest. You're always going to get a biased result from your friends. Um, if it sells, someone you don't know is buying it. You, you've got an unbiased result right there. Uh, if they buy a second one, that's a better result. Well, ours is obviously a very different product. I think it's uh, a lot of different components that are coming in from all, diff all different angles. Mm -hmm. And so there was, there was lots of different layers of testing. The leather was an interesting <coughs> testing period for us. Um, we experienced a number of very, very poor quality leathers and that was a big thing for us because obviously with a watch, it's almost half the watch, the strap and half of what people see. So it was very important getting that right. And so sourcing um, and testing those leathers was a very important stage um, obviously, the movement is the most key thing, and that was us testing different movements um, from different areas. Um, and, then, and then it was the, the thing that is our USP, which is this kind of element of using unique materials um, and textures, and, and obviously in these new ranges, doing collaborations with artists and making a piece of art uh, transfer into a design product that's going to be sold on on the uh, the high street, so uh, it, there's 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 testing when it comes to like durability and those kind of things with us. I mean that's obviously a massive massive part of our testing. Um, and then I, I suppose and get in terms of testing the market, doing a number of launch events, and um, and also prior to launch events, doing kind of focus groups and really understanding about what people actually want from their watches. We're quite lucky in that it's. Al alcohol in particular is such, it's in your face all the time. Look at the number amount of alcohol marketing. You go to a, a bar, they'll usually have table talkers there or you'll, you'll know what the current drink is at the moment. That definitely helps because obviously you want to pick a flavor that is, is popular that people will like and inherently that's going to be that's pretty clear in the market. Um, we simply don't have the budget that someone, I don't know, one of the big multinationals would have would say where they go, right, we're going to push this new flavor into the market. We're going to go, you know, tube ads, buses. You know, we, we would never, A, we don't have the budget. <laughs> and, and B, we, we don't have the expertise in doing that. So we definitely let the market guide us because ultimately you want to make a product that people want. So for both of you, um, social media plays a big part. 
how does that look? How's your strategy changed over time? Um, and why is it important to, to your companies? Yeah, so uh, for us, it's, uh, we're, in, we're a year in. So we launched a year ago. So we're still a very young company. And so it's interestingly, this, this element of the company, which a number of years ago would have been a very small element of the, of the overall um, task of setting up and running a business, is such a huge thing now because it kind of dictates your style. Uh, it dictates how you communicate with your audience. Um, and I think you only really refine that after a period of time. So I think for us, initially, it was conveying that kind of uh, texture element uh, and you know a, a large part of our marketing factors art into the marketing uh, due to the nature of us collaborating with artists. Uh, but I think it takes a little bit of time to, as a fashion brand, to, uh, to ascertain who, where you sit in the fashion world. Uh, I think if you go all guns blazing and say we're going to be this this brand, you know your audience might be completely different to to who you are targeting. Uh, and it, it for a product like ours, it requires that initial phase of of actually just I mean it is, it's almost a text testing phase within the first year and gradually altering your messaging, altering your aesthetic as you go forward. Yeah, I, com I completely agree. Um, you know, so much of today is if someone says something to me, go, oh, have you seen this? Whatever it is, I'll hop on Instagram and you know, have a look. And quite often that'll be, you'll get there and you, you want to know what it is straight away. So for us, it's a case of A, keeping people who are, have been with us from the very start or have you know, been with us for a while, you know, keeping them updated with what we're doing, uh, both what you can get it in terms of what we're doing, say events, um, but also, very clear message about what the product is because there are a lot of people who are looking for things and looking and going, what is this? And they need to know straight away as soon as you land, right? Okay, cool. Oh, right, it's a frosé. Great. Yeah, thank you very much. Oh, it's available in Waitrose. Yeah, some people don't, you know, they just want to know what the product is. Um, so it is a, is a mixed, it is a mixed bag. Has either of you done the thing when you send it to like an Instagram influencer oh and yeah. get them to do a post? Hashtag ad. We have done, actually, it, we've, so we've never paid for Instagram sort of influencer stuff. But when we've done things with influencers, quite often they'll put it on their story, they'll post about it. That, that, does, that does work. Um, you know, festivals, for example, we took a whole load of people down with us and people were like, oh, I just saw so-and-so on Instagram and they're with you and here I am. So it's, yeah, it, it does work. Um, I think it depends on, on what you're pushing. If you're at a festival, then it, works very well if you're saying I'm going to go to retail that's very hard to measure the the hard thing for us for influencers is you know if we're saying go to retail and buy this you can't then say how many of those retail sales have come from that post that we've just done yeah for us it's it's not so much going down the uh, you know getting in touch with Millie Bobby Brown and asking her whether she wants to wear the watch it's kind of targeting some 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 interesting authentic influencers so people who are kind of masters of their craft, so we've targeted a number of uh, like artists, not targeted, but you know, we've got to artists involved and you know, written content about um, artists who are doing incredible things, and so that there, is, there is something more to it than just the vanity aspect of it. The final question I want to ask you guys is, is what's next? 
Um, what does the next kind of 12 months look like? Um, and how kind of set in stone is that? I think it's always hard to say, right, this is set in stone. Um, you have to be fluid because if, if there's a massive opportunity that comes your way, you have to, you have to be able to react to it. So I'd, I'd say that I'm not going to say this is set in stone. Um, looking at, uh, we've just uh, done a fundraising round. So we are raising to get even bigger. Um, we've seen great success with our co-brands. Definitely something we want to keep, keep doing. We, people really react well to that. And you know, people really like, you know, for us, it's about making a great tasting frozen cocktail from a great tasting liquid. So that is where people go, oh, I recognize that brand as my favorite gin. And they will then say, okay, well then I like a gin and tonic frozen cocktail. That is something that works. It's something that we're, we're really, really keen to keep pushing out. Um, I can't say too much more. I know that's super, super vague. <laughs> um, but yeah, looking at a, a couple of other countries as well. So geographical increase, increase in the number of countries and seeing where the co-brand stuff goes, which is very exciting. Ed? I think, we, I think we'd love to continue doing this collaboration route where we are partnering with genuinely interesting and talented individuals to produce really interesting like looking products. I think the watch market is at a juncture which is really interesting uh, in that you've got the iWatch coming in uh, which is, hasn't impacted it weirdly enough at this stage. You know, it's actually led to more sales in traditional watches uh, which is mad really if you think about it um, but I, I, I think inevitably it will have an impact on the watch market and it's for us it's continuing to produce products that a look amazing and very different in their form um, and really driving that and then also having the premium components to back that up and justify the sale uh, so I think yeah I think we've got we've got a number of collab exciting collaborations that we're currently working on, uh, and with the hope of producing another 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 range in the new year. So I think the last thing to do, thank you for your time, both of you today, um, is to just wrap up by plugging the guys' social media channels. So for Lick Frozen Cocktails, it's at Have a Lick, and for Flint Watches, it's at Flint Watches. And watch this space for some new exciting things happening in the future. For all our listeners. Um, Another plug for our Corporate Entrepreneur Awards coming up in November. Um, go check it out. Uh, it's on the 22nd of November. Go check it out at corporateentrepreneurawards.com. Um, nominate yourself and your company for any cool stuff you're doing in the innovation space. Um, we'd love to have you along to the Design Museum for that. If you want to get in touch with us, guys, hit us up at launchbreak at marketgravity.com or get us on Twitter at market underscore gravity. Thanks very much for listening. We'll catch up with you next time.